With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. We're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers number one. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle. Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston, and I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunk, the drunkest one of them all. Our good pal BFD. How are you doing tonight, man? And drunk being the opportune word in that sentence. Maybe, maybe it's the opposite. It's not. You're the drunkest, then the biggest one of them all. <laughs> oh my gosh! So did you know that Doug Marone is probably just like a dumber version of Bill O'Brien? Doug Marone is the poor man's version of Bill O'Brien. Like I'm thankful, I'm thankful for Bill O'Brien after watching this game today. I mean, when when people say, "Okay, when we're are we just going to do a full reset if we fire Bill O'Brien?" the answer is that's just really stupid. Why would you even say that? What do we lose the entire roster if we fire Bill O'Brien? But when when people say, "Hey, it could be worse," well. Doug Marone is yeah, example true. A of yes. <laughs> no, I mean, it could be Adam Gase, but Adam Gase can at least scheme Ryan Griffin open like over and over again. I, I think Gase is better than O'Brien, personally. I, I don't think Whatever. so. Whatever. I can't. I hate watching the Jets. Like I hate watching their quick passing <laughs> offense. It's like everything is like five shot, five yard curl routes. You know, Payne Manning's not the not the quarterback at all anymore. That Dallas game was different, but the last two weeks have been awful from him. Right. Um, right. So the Texans played in England today. I loved it. I love 8.30 football games. Like I wish they played 8.30 every time. I woke up at 7 o'clock, let the dogs out, made some uh, made some bean soup, watched the game, had the rest of the day, you know, to go back and watch it and ride and uh, go to the gym, do everything else I needed to do. It was beautiful. Like, I wish I wish they could do this every single week. I would love if they moved to England and they became the London, you know, England's out there, and we watched them every single morning at 8.30 instead. <laughs> God, I don't even know how to respond to that. I, I think it's, if, if Jacksonville continues on the streak, though, I think we might play two games a year out there because I think the NFL really wants to move the Glitter Kitties to London. Maybe, but they have, I don't know, people go and watch them in Jacksonville, though. And that's the thing, it's like when you watch these games nowadays, nobody goes to the games at all anymore. Like even Houston games, they're, the crowds are pretty sparse. Um, like you watch like a Washington game, it's like that. Now, now obviously it's not to the same level, but a lot of these stadiums are really empty because it's a television game. But you know, people still go to Jags games go though. Like they have like a real like little fan base now. They don't have the national attention as far as like TV draw, but you know, people legitimately go to their football games. So I guess that's the only reason why I think they probably won't like full time move. I don't know that Green Bay San Diego game when he had like half half crowd. I think some groups travel well. Yeah, well, I mean, like, hey, they... And, and, let me shout out to Steph Stradley and her crew representing in London today. That was awesome. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I was, I was, you know, it's like thinking, it was like, if I went to England, the last thing I want to do is go to a Texans game. But after seeing some of the pictures and stuff, it looked like a really good time. Yes. I really, from, from the day that game was announced, I really wanted to go to that game, and i just like to not think about that ever again because man that was the biggest letdown of my entire 2019 and i've had a lot of letdowns this year so yeah damn it. yeah well maybe maybe like you said they'll play two more games out there in the future i want to go to london i want to go to london yeah I wanna, it. i'm gonna go to london but i don't know if i, I want to go to a soccer game or something what i really want to do is go to ireland take a drive out to the countryside and then go and put on one of the stupid cool. hats and then go back is, home just go for two is, days i'm down um, so the Texans won today. They won 26-3. to And we'll start talking about the offense first because it seems like the... I don't know. It seems like the Texans maybe have found their offense. I know one of the problems they had from that in that Carolina game 
even though the Panthers have a really great pass defense this year, was that everything was like really spread out. And there was still that talk that you know this offense is too complicated. Deshaun Watson's having to make too many reads. He's not able to use his athleticism. He's not able to take advantage of you know the defense. And then the Atlanta game happened, and they just threw the ball downfield at Wolf Fuller a lot. And then he got hurt, and they really have to kind of changed this whole like RPO. Um, they don't. I don't really don't feel like they run a ton of play action, but they've really have switched to kind of this RPO attack linebackers ball control. Uh, ground, you know, run the ball a lot sort of offense. And so, like, do you think this is just the Texans now, or is this based more on the matchups they've had available to them? I, I think that Bill O'Brien has found a certain level of comfort with the 12 personnel and the RPO coming out of that. Because how many times have we see that today? 10? 12? I mean, I, I haven't been able to go back and watch the game. I don't know. But you saw a lot of 12 personnel with with Deshaun Watson making the RPO um, play action. And that is play action. It really is. And it's been very effective. I mean, Jacksonville did a great job shutting it down toward the end of the game. But I think that's where Bill O'Brien is finding a certain level of comfort is, hey, we're going to do this. Stop it. And it's that's not a bad thing. Yeah. And I, and I think it's I mean, it's been it's been great. It was great against Kansas City because they had bad linebackers. It was great against Oakland because they had bad linebackers. It was great against Jacksonville because they're playing Najee Good. They're playing Austin Calitro, who can't even cover Ryan Griffin. And Miles Jack isn't like a foundational inside linebacker at all, too. He's been being covered a lot this year. The Kansas City game's a great example. He's had problems with run fits. Um, he's really fast, but he doesn't... He's just been really like... He, his like his skill level doesn't match his athleticism at all, and so the Jaguars have a bad um, linebacker group. I didn't really I didn't write about in the preview because I thought this was gonna be more of a passing game where the Texans had to throw the ball downfield more in kind of a shootout situation with all the injuries to their pass defense, and that didn't happen all whatsoever. So I didn't get to really touch on um, the linebackers that the Jaguars have, but this is another situation too. They're playing against two bad linebackers where they can do things like. Uh, you know, really stretch the seams, make them make them make decisions in coverage, uh, make them make decisions in running plays too as well. And Houston did a really great job doing that. Just really like it kind of goes back to like you're playing with your cat. You know, you have the mouse in the string, you're dangling in front of in front of them, and you're having them like you know try swat out. You move it away at the last second before they can actually get to it. Yeah, Miles Jack just is when Miles Jack was paired with Telvin Smith. I think that was a pretty lethal For sure. combo. But losing. Losing Smith was a huge blow to that defense, and I think Jack is the one paying the most for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good off-ball backer where he's the second guy in like a nickel formation, but he's not. He can't be your primary inside linebacker, and especially with like the the guys around him as well too. And they forced, you know, they they with their with their uh, twenty-one personnel, they forced the Jaguars to play three linebackers a lot. They didn't let them go into nickel. They didn't let them play their nickel cornerback very much. And uh, and they really did a great job taking advantage of that today too. Yep. Uh, so one of the things that you know, watching it, I, there's a lot of play action, there's a lot of RPOs, and but it was like the zone read, and then it turns into an RPO. So a good example was that they had you know Calais Campbell on the play side, Watson fakes the handoff, and he's so quick with these handoffs too. Like I've never, like I haven't really seen a quarterback who's as good as he is as far as just like faking the ball, of holding it as long as he does, and taking it, and how quickly he can take it away. But they're reading Campbell. Campbell crashes down, so he follows the power play, and then Watson goes back to keep it. But then pulling on the other side is Jordan Aikens or Darren Fells. So now you have that option where Aikens runs out to the flat, the linebacker chases, Watson can take it up, or Watson can pretty much just play fast break basketball where you have a two-on-one, you have the guy make a decision, and if he comes after Watson, he's been throwing all these little dump-offs where you know, easy first downs, easy ER completions, uh, easy touchdowns like that throw he had at Fells as well too. And so they've done that a lot lately, and it's and it's worked out very well. And it kind of goes again where like there was only one time where Jacksonville played it well, or two times, and it was ever you had both Miles Jack and Good out there in the flat, and there one guy's playing Watson, one guy's playing the tight end, and they just didn't get out there quick enough on a lot of these uh, on a lot of these plays as well too. Yeah, one thing I, I'm going to be really interested to see is teams are going to see this on on tape. Do we even say on tape anymore? I say video. I say yeah, video. on video. So they're going to see this. But at the end of the game, toward the, in the fourth quarter, especially, you saw that the uh, Jaguars were making a lot of adjustments against that. They were they were saying, okay, this is what they're going to do. We're going to see this, and we're going to peel off quickly. And 
it's going to be real interesting to see how Bill O'Brien adjusts to that because teams are seeing that. And I still think RPO is kind of like play action in a lot of ways because the whole point is to draw in the linebackers in order to make them be out of position to push the ball downfield. Now, whether you're pushing the ball downfield by throwing it, the, the pass part of that, or running it as the uh, quarterback, that's what you're doing. You're freezing the linebackers, making them stick in a space, and, and adjusting around them. So... It's gonna for me. How is Bill O'Brien going to adjust if teams start playing that a lot better than they have? And I think that started happening today. So that's gonna be kind of fun because it's been so effective. Watching who wants to tackle Jordan Higgins? Who wants to tackle Daniel Fells? I mean, these are huge dudes getting easy yards. Big Matt, what's gonna happen? Uh, I think I mean really we won't we won't know until they play good linebackers. Like they try to do the same things same things with the Colts, but they fell behind and the Colts have really good linebackers. Darius Leonard is a foundational defensive player. Like he's Luke Keekley ish. Anthony Walker's a really good off ball linebacker. And so it's just these matchups have led to this offense being, you know, really great and working very well. This is another situation at that point too. But like I don't know what they're going to do whenever they play, you know, Baltimore. Whenever they play Kansas, uh, not Kansas City, but New England. Whenever they play these tougher teams who actually have good linebackers, and if they're going to be able to keep doing the same things. And the other thing we'll mention too about the RPO, it's not like Doug Peterson's RPO in Philly, where they're in the shotgun and it's you know he's either hanging the ball off based off the numbers or he's throwing it. Uh, you know, where he reads the safety and that sort of thing, where you don't have like a lot of guys like blocking like an inside zone where they're up the field and you have a slam route off of it. This is, you know, Watson making like a read here and then he takes two steps and makes another read and then maybe there's another read on top of it. And I, I really think the biggest thing too, it's like you can run any any uh, offense at all available with Deshaun Watson and they've gone with the one where Watson is 22 of 28 for 194 yards and two touchdowns and he takes one sack because... You know, he's magical, but like I don't know, I still would like to see them push the ball downfield more often too. Um, all this kind of like all these like shorter passes, all this mid range stuff. Like I understand it with the offensive line injuries and also the matchups available to him. But like I mean, still Kenny Stills is a great downfield wet, um, great downfield threat. DeAndre Hopkins is still the best receiver in football, and, uh, and they haven't done a very good job isolating him too on the sidelines. And so I don't know what they're gonna do one whenever they play against better linebackers, and then two whenever they have to actually start playing from behind, have to attack teams more downfield and be more explosive. And it's like, you kind of want to do that now and start learning this now. And then whenever you get into those big games against Baltimore and New England, like you're prepared and ready for it, you know? Yeah. And that's one thing I really wanted to talk about tonight is, is there's been a lot of talk about how we attack the center of the field. We get a lot of seven, eight yard gains. We have that RPO that comes off to, to Fells and or uh, Aikens. But where Deshaun Watson is really, truly the best is when he pushes the ball downfield. And we have to be able to get back to that point. And so when we're playing against the Jaguars, who scored three points today, we can we can kind of dink and dunk our way down the field. But at some point, we're going to have to not – look, the only guy – the only coach in the entire NFL who is capable of stopping Deshaun Watson is Bill O'Brien. And for, for my money, today is like kind of a perfect example of that. Before the turnover fest in the fourth quarter, Deshaun Watson was dinking and dunking his way down the field. Yes, it was effective in a kind of an East German kind of way, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> but at some point, you have to push the ball down the field. The pass establishes the run, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have to start spreading out the defenses a lot more than we do the RPO that we are running with the personnel that we're using is effective. It's efficient. It's brutal, but we're going to have to do different things at some point. And that's the part where I'm worried about. Yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and I think it's kind of a similar conversation we had last year too. And we talked about, you know, Hey, they're playing much of teams who can't throw the football or they can do whenever they actually play against teams that can like, are they going to be able to like just flip that switch and have Watson start throwing the ball downfield and then we saw what happened against Philadelphia, and we saw what happened against the Colts in the playoffs, where they try to flick the switch, and you know they they got close, but they weren't able to. But they weren't able to do it all against the Colts uh, in that playoff game. And so it's like you kind of want to see these reps happen now, so whenever they're prepared for it. Luckily, though, you know the game against Baltimore coming up and New England coming up, they'll and like and I guess against the Colts as well too here pretty soon. Like they'll get those 
reps in the regular season to be better prepared for for the playoffs too. Um, the other thing I want to talk about was this whole uh, DeAndre Hopkins was played up against AJ Boye a lot because typically this is Ramsey versus Hopkins and we have a great time. It's a really fun matchup. It's super physical. It was one of the premier matchups in the NFL and we won't see it again until 2021. Uh, Hopkins had Hopkins had eight catches on 11 targets for 48 yards. Uh, his longest catch was 21 was 21 yards. I don't have the first down numbers here, but I would guess he probably had you know, five first downs on these eight on these eight catches or so. But again, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, number one wide receiver in the league, eight catches for 48 yards on 11 targets. And they have really have turned DeAndre Hopkins into a slot receiver where we saw against Oakland last week where he's a matchup against a linebacker in zone coverage and is beating him with, you know, digs and, and slots and those sort of route combinations. And against A.J. Boye this week, it's a lot of press coverage where he's just running slats for, for quick passes on, you know, third and four or second and six or in the red zone. And so like, do you like this version of DeAndre Hopkins where he's playing a lot in the slot uh, as being like effective and efficient? And he's, he's kind of like Carlos High where he has a great success rate, but he doesn't have like a high DVOA because everything is so short. You know, he's picking up first downs. These are successful plays, but we're kind of lacking that, that kind of big playability from him this year. I think what you do when you have uh, when you're utilizing a player like DeAndre Hopkins in that sort of framework is that you're limited, limiting his upside. So, yes, you, you have taken care of the bottom part. You're taking care of the floor part of what he can do to help your team. But you're also really limiting what he, what he can do to help your team. It, it's the sort of thing where if I'm 6'5", I'm left-handed, and I'm only taught to throw two pitches you're limiting my ability to be an effective baseball player and so i kind of see that same analogy we're limiting DeAndre hopkins and what he can do and so i know I, I don't like it i see why it's being done i see why but it's it's a very short-sighted kind of decision by o'brien i think mm-hmm. i like to lie against kansas city where kansas city is a team that can you know score a lot really quickly and that sort of thing uh, but like now that we're still doing this and you know, it's worked out in a way too, but it's, again, it's, it's less effective, it's less efficient. And also, just like from an aesthetic uh, perspective too, like I want to watch DeAndre Hopkins on the sideline and isolate man coverage, you know, using his hands to get open, that sort of thing. I know like Jacksonville pretty much had Boye playing, uh, Boye playing, you know, press man coverage him a lot of time against him with the safety over the top that kind of took away those sideline routes and that sort of thing. But you can still scheme that open. You can still run play action on first and 10 whenever you're seeing a lot of cover one, that sort of thing too. And they just really haven't done it. So I'm like, I like, you know, Hopkins having as many first down catches as he's, as he's had so far this season. But at the same time, like I miss him, you know, making catches like he did against the Bengals in 2000, you know, 15 against Pac-Man Jones and things like that. And uh, we're not seeing a lot of that though from him this year. No, and I just saw this is a side thing. It, Jacoby Brissett's done for the year. Oh, really? With what? A left knee injury. It mm, okay. Doesn't look happy. Yeah. Yep, so he's done. So Brian Hoyer, got him. All people. Brian Hoyer <laughs> is now the quarterback of the Colts with Hoyer's floater. A couple of years ago. Oh my gosh. Here it comes again. I'm like, I'm so, I'm so tired of this decade. Like I'm ready for the, for the twenties. <laughs> I'm so tired of Chris Clark. I'm so tired of Brian Hoyer. Um, I, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of Ryan Griffin. There's just so many names that keep popping up. Alfred Blue. You know, I'm done with it. I'm ready for some new stuff. Circle of life, baby. Anyway, getting back to Hopkins. Uh, the one thing that kind of drives me crazy about the way that we're utilizing Hopkins right now is that for a, a, a huge chunk of the game it was you know a one score game it was nine to three and it was like we never were able to really expand that lead i mean this is you know for a long time that's the problem with the Texans. if you want to dink and dunk your way down the field then you're just one big play away from being behind again mm-hmm. and that's the way that i really read today's game is that look if you're playing the chiefs with a healthy team and i i, I bet you that the Chiefs of today would have given the Texans of today a lot better game. You just can't do that. You have to be able to pick up yards and chunks. You need the chunk plays, right? That's the big buzzword, chunk plays. You need chunk plays. You don't do that with the way that the Texans are really doing it today. I would like to see a lot more of that, uh, uh, pushing the ball down the field. Look, I'm really digging the RPO 
stuff to Fells and Akins. I'm digging it. I'm hip. But you have to push the ball down the field. I preach this almost every week on this podcast. You are not successful as an NFL QB if you do not push the ball down the field. If you're throwing for seven yards of uh, an attempt, that's not good. You cannot do that. You cannot win like that. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of a, a slight jab to Josh Allen at me, but I'll take it. I, <laughs> I completely agree, but I'll take it. Um, so, yeah, that's that a good point, too. The Texans, you know, this was a one-possession game a lot of time. And I was sitting there, I'm like, you know, this is a game where it's not over, but it feels over at whenever they went up uh, 16-3 in this one. But you're like, yeah. I mean, they still have DJ Chark. Like, they're still a play away. Like, the Texans are still playing two safeties deep with Mike Adams and Jahila Die back there, you know. Um, but, yeah, the Texans only scored nine points this game. In the first half, they only had nine. They only had nine points against the Raiders last week. In the, or they had 10 points against the Raiders in the first half last week. They had nine points against the Colts week before that. This offense is too good. Deshaun Watson's too good to have these halves where they only have nine points. And this week was different where, like, their game plan was kind of the same throughout it. But, you know, weeks previously, it took Bill O'Brien, you know, like we would mentioned last week, it took him 27 minutes to understand, oh, hey, Anthony Morrill can't cover Duke Johnson. Oh, hey, they're running a lot of cover, too, and you can put Hopkins in the slot and, uh, and get him open against to hear Whitehead and that sort of thing. This week, the offense was kind of like the same throughout it. Uh, but I went back and looked at the numbers last week in the first half. The Texans have scored 88 points. They've allowed 95 points, which is a differential of negative seven. And I guess now looking at this game, they're at 97 points in the first half compared to 98 allowed. So they're a, a negative one-point differential now. But in the second half, they're at plus 124. Uh, giving up nine three points in the second half, which is you know plus thirty one, and a lot of that had to do with that Atlanta game. I think they scored thirty five points in the second half against Atlanta too. But this has been a team that's been like still slow starting, even though they dominated the ball in the first half today. They controlled the clock for the majority of it. Uh, like time of possession doesn't matter unless you're scoring points. And you know, Houston felt like they should have been up by like seventeen or so in the first half. And it never felt like they really kind of capitalized on it too. And a lot of this has to go back to the game plan as well. That was, you know, a lot of nibbling, that sort of thing. And it works well in the end result, but it's kind of just, you know, forecasting for the future. And I do think this was like the good, the best game plan to run against the Jaguars linebackers, how they're built, including the offensive line injuries. But like, it's just kind of going forward. It's looking at teams where they have more tape available. I think a good example of that too, it's like the teams are sitting on that slant to Hopkins all play action. They're sitting on those double-crossing, deep pa- deep uh, play-action routes on 1st and 10. They're sitting on the screen routes. They load the box up on 2nd and 10 and 1st and 10 because they're expecting runs too. And so it's it's where, where is the switch going to be whenever they play against you know better teams and more intelligent teams? And I don't know. I mean, when you look at the Texans right now, or as of last week after week 8, we're 13th in, in DVOA, and the offensive is... 12th and defensive is 20th and it's like well we should be better offensively and a lot worse defensively so there's a lot of disconnects there <laughs> big matt yeah i think you have one guy's coaching defense is better than um the guy coaching offense Good so offense yeah so so i want to talk about the offensive line really fast too uh larry tensel was out ties howard is back they Brought oh in Chris Clark God. at left tackle and Robert Johnson left tackle. And Bill O'Brien, I guess, was doing that thing where he wanted each one to play to keep each one fresh. I guess to see the film that he had on each one because he didn't feel too strongly about one or the other. I don't know how Chris Clark can be like a Bill O'Brien guy or whatever, but there's a noticeable difference between the two. Clark had, you know, three penalties, um, one holding penalty, one crackback block, which was, you know, the guy's not turned. Watson's are out of the pocket. The block doesn't help him at all. After already you know, getting beat earlier in the play too, he wasn't very good in the run game today. Uh, I saw Robert Johnson make a couple of nice deuce blocks along with Max Sharpie on that side of the field too. Uh, so, but that being said, the Jaguars as a defense this game they only had one sack and they had three tackles for a loss. Uh, do you think the pass blocking was better than you expected it to, to be? And what are your thoughts on this whole Clark versus Robert Johnson thing? Okay, so I'll start with the. I, I thought they would get a better rush, but the entire game plan and it was a it was a good game plan. Was let's get the ball out of Deshaun's hands. I'm good with that. I think you know if you're going to talk about if there is a game where you're really going to scheme against the team's weaknesses to do the RPOs like we did, that's fine. But we're going to play against better overall teams that 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 can't do that to us. Now, as far as the Chris Clark versus Roger Johnson thing, I mean. 
Chris Clark is like what forty eight years old, <laughs> and and you don't have like ten. I mean, and I'm being honest now, like twelve years of tape on Chris Clark that he can't do certain things at this point of his career. You really don't have that tape. That's ridiculous. So to keep putting him back at left tackle was a joke. Uh, Roderick Johnson did a fine job whenever he was at left tackle the entire game, the entire game. So we need to make better. This is, this goes back to Bill O'Brien. Like, let's just swap guys out on the offensive line because they're all the same anyway. And let's see which one does the best. That was this today. Oh my God. Drove me up the wall all game. Every time I saw Chris Clark out there, I wanted to punch a puppy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's obvious that Roderick Johnson is better. Uh, and the sacks too. So Watson took one sack, but he was under pressure a lot of times this game. And I don't like I don't know how he's able to escape some of the stuff he does. Like that one against Ngakwe where he spins out of Ngakwe's grasp. <laughs> like Ngakwe's incredibly strong. He had that one throw as he's going down before his knee hits that he completes that one too. Uh Taven Bryan had a good game against Max Sharping. Like he showed some juice this season. Like Bryan's not like the worst defensive tackle at all in football anymore. And he's been pretty good as a pass rusher. Um, they, the other thing Jacksonville didn't do very much. So I thought they're going to do more was they didn't blitz all that much. They had that one safety blitz that created pressure where Hopkins was able to escape the pocket. I do think the pass protection was better than I thought it was going to be heading into it, but it wasn't good. But again, whenever you're using such a quick passing offense and when you have Deshaun Watson, you can, you know, like break out of a closet and run away from the movie monster and, uh, and do some of the absurd things he does too. Your pass protection isn't as important. Uh, really at all either. And so it's kind of interesting too to see like this offense still pass protect like fairly well with this different offense. Larry Tunsil on the bench too. And like, whereas you, you kind of bring up the idea as well. It's like, so was Larry Tunsil really worth as far as value goes? Is he worth, you know, a two first round picks and a second round pick when the team still puts up this many points on offense? They put up 26 points and it's like, oh, well, they don't need Watt. They don't need Clown. They only allow three points if we want to look at it the same way too. Uh, but I think that's an interesting idea. And again, I think it was just Watson's really great. And I think the pass blocking was better than I expected it to be. But I think it kind of comes down more to like Watson, the type of offense that they're using. And it goes back to last year when we kept saying like the offensive line isn't as bad as it's getting credit to be. It's all these different problems that they're not using to help them to make the pass protection a lot worse than it is. Yeah, I, as far as the Laramie Tunsil thing, that's going to be once we hit 20... 21 free agency that's when it's going to really kick in yeah if that was worth it or not i i, I think you know because we're going to have to pay all the money to sean watson what's he going to get 40 45 million a year i was saying 35 but it's going to be like 40 maybe uh depending on the salary cap jump and again like they gave up future assets for this trade of course it's gonna be great this year of course because they didn't give up anything for the for the present forum and the other thing too it's yeah like whenever you don't have cost-effective uh, players available because you traded them, how are you going to fill in the gaps? Well, it has to be free agency, but now you can't really spend free agency because Watson's not on his rookie contract at all anymore. Like, this would have been a great trade if Watson was a rookie, and then now, okay, you have draft picks again whenever this whole sort of thing kind of goes through too. But yeah, uh, the whole thing is, is interesting. But I think it's kind of funny because you hear that argument against Clowney, like, oh, we're fine without him because we allowed three points to the Jaguars, but we're, we need Laramie Tunsil, even though you still scored 26 points without him. Yeah. I mean, I, I have an MBA with a, a, a focus on macroeconomics and um, international finance. And I tell you what, we're going to pay for that Laramie Tunsil trade. That's, that's going to be harsh. So anyway, let's get back to not bragging about me, but we shall be bragging about me at all times. Where's, Where's BFT? Should we be <laughs> bragging about BFT? Anyway, um, it's gonna we're gonna pay the price for that. Um, I had a direction I was going with this, and I cannot remember it, Matt. Now, so please save me, Big Matt. Uh, I won't save you, but Smooth Grandma would save you with uh, two other really good Twitter questions. One is he, he mentioned uh, it's I didn't keep track, but it seemed like Ty's Howard had a really good game today. Do you concur? So I, I went back and watched the game. And watching Howard, they really helped him a lot in pass protection. They really chipped for him a lot, which is kind of weird that they weren't chipping for you know the left hand side of the line of scrimmage. Um, so they chipped for him a bunch, and like a lot of those big runs that you saw with Carlos Hyde, where they're these fifty eight yard runs, that sort of thing. Like they weren't they weren't really because of like great blocking. But I want you if you get the chance, go back and watch those runs again, 
And look at the safeties on the play. Look at the linebackers and look at these run fits where Carlos Hyde's running unblocked without like any really great blocks being made in front of him, just like adequate blocks. But the Jaguars are just so all over the place that run fits that Carlos Hyde's able to to break free and run forever. I think Howard's fine. Like he's been fine all season. I don't think the drop off between like him and Robert Johnson is like unbelievable. But if Johnson wasn't out there, you have Clark at left tackle completely and you know, Johnson on the other side, you know, that's a that's a worse situation to be in. But the worst thing about not having Howard was just the developmental aspect of it. So it was good to see him out there, but I don't think he was like you know, spectacular or anything or had a really good game. I think he was fine. It's gonna be really difficult for me for a couple of years to understand that Titus Howard was taken as our left tackle of the future. And so we spent a very valuable pick on Titus Howard in order to do that. So the fact that we are still like having to chip and having to aid him as a guard, uh, I mean, at all Mm -hmm. is difficult for me. And by the way, I just want to say Marlon Humphrey has another defensive touchdown this year. Oh, good. Oh my gosh. Sorry. (laughs) A little distracted there. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point too. Cause like the tensile trade as well came because they drafted Howard and Sharp and realized, Oh, now the one can play left tackle. We still have Matt Khalil here. Oh, Matt Khalil is terrible. Um, and we don't like we don't like Davenport anymore, which is fine. I understand. Like I get it. Uh, and then now you're kind of like a week before the season. You're like, we can't start Khalil here. We can't start Howard here. We can't start Sharping here. And then you know you give up all the draft capital they do to make the trade. Uh, but yeah. So the other question that Smooth Graham will have was Kiki has been benched since the tip for a pick. Oh, Does he God. resurface after the buy? So this game saw Stephen Mitchell not run hard out on a on a swing pass that Watson tried leaving for a touchdown. It saw DeAndre Carter catch like one drag route pass. And he had a big catch last week as well too. So like is Kiki Cutie just in that Bill O'Brien doghouse like Cahill Waring? Uh I think he even include Jordan Thomas in that doghouse. We know Clowney was in there. We know Martinez Rankin was in there. Would you would you include Cutie in the same sort of thing too? Absolutely at this point. I mean he's just he's persona in the grata with the Texans. I mean he might as well look if if Cutie didn't like show up for the next week to practices, I don't think Bill O'Brien would even notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, and it's weird because he was bad to start the year. Like him and Watson had no chemistry at all with each other. But it's like he missed preseason because you have him recovering. You have him catching a punt in preseason, and he gets hurt, and uh, and so he loses three weeks as being like the slot receiving in those reps. And so you would assume like with more practice they would gel together, and it never really happened at all. But I mean, it's just so weird to see what he was able to do last year and like the, the, the dynamicism that he has as a receiver and then just like completely, you know, wash him away for DeAndre Carter and you know, Stephen Mitchell, where we know who those guys are. They can be competent whenever somebody's hurt, but you don't have that you know, same level of talent as you do whenever you have cutie out there. He's been O'Brien. I mean, there's nothing else to say about him. Okay. Um, so moving on to the defense, I have a Jacksonville Jaguars conspiracy theory. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Totally. So the only, I thought the Jaguars had one of the worst game plans I've ever seen. And, uh, and this has come from somebody who's done a lot of, you know, complaining and, and, uh, I guess analyzing about, you know, Bill O'Brien doing things like running the ball first in 25, which he did this game. He ran the ball first in 25 or throwing screen passes on third and 19, which he did this game. Uh, or no, I think actually more egregious one was the screen pass on third and 13. Whenever you have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback, um, but I think the Jaguars had such a dumb game plan, which is composed of a lot of quick crossing routes and flat routes against a defense whose best cornerback has been there for you know one week now. And I think it's because they wanted Gardner Minshew to have a bad game on purpose so they could have the reason to bench him so they could start Nick Foles in week 11. Because that's the only reason I could come up with. The Jaguars were eighth in passing offense, DVOA entering this game. Minshew has been really good throwing the ball downfield when he's had opportunities to do too. To do so, he was 13th in deep pass attempts, but was eighth in completions. Uh, in this game, he only threw one pass over 20 yards in the air until the fourth quarter, and uh, and his pass chart was awful. It was terrible, and this was also against a team that wasn't really able to generate much of a pass rush, too. So I don't know. What do you think this was? Was was this just bad coaching, or are we trying to see Nick Foles out here for Jacksonville pretty soon? I've been very mixed about that. I've thought about your entire scenario quite a bit today because it, it made no sense. I mean, we have no pass rush. We got a lot of pressure in the fourth quarter. The Jaguars offensive line was kind of breaking down. Minshew was like 
like Sam Darnold last week. He was just seeing ghosts back there. And so, yeah, that's a great point. Um, I just don't, I don't understand what the Jaguars are doing today offensively, like on any level whatsoever. I mean, you go attack, you throw the ball downfield, you attack, you get Minshew out. They tried to keep Minshew in the pocket all game on purpose, which is just kind of stupid. And uh, I don't know if they were trying to make him look bad per se to get Nick Foles back in there, but if there is a reason, reason, excuse me, that Minshew was a six round pick. There really is. There's a reason that Nick Foles has a good history as a quarterback in the NFL. And today I think kind of proved that through. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I just like just watching. I mean, I don't have this sideline view, but like when you see Jaheel Adai and you see Mike Adams as the deep safeties and you see Garen Conley and John the Joseph on the outside, like they put Justin Reed at slot corner today. Like he was in the slot from the majority of this game. And you see like a pass rush composed of um, DJ <laughs> Reader to your left edge. That's what I thought was going to happen. I wrote that last week. It was like they're just going to move Reader to defensive end, and they're going to jump into a three-four defensive end. They're going to run Brandon Dunn, Angel Blackson out there. But there was like third and fifteen, and you have Jacob Martin, Carlos Watkins, Charles Omenehu, and Winnie Merciless all rushing. Um, there, you know, and so it's like you have these sort of situations. Like this is a pass rush you're up against. He threw. He so passes behind the line of scrimmage. He threw five of six to the left hand side for seven yards. So right hand side one of one for nineteen yards, which was that screen pass to Keelan Cole that worked out well. On passes over twenty yards, he was one for five for thirty one yards is all. And like, and like again, like up until the fourth quarter, he only attempted one deep pass over twenty yards, and that sort of, and that set the field. He threw those two interceptions between ten and twenty yards. Uh, it's the right hand side. It was two for three for thirty yards. But like, if you just look at the next gen stats from NFL.com, like it's an awful passing route. It's an awful passing chart, and especially so like considering the passing secondary he's up against. And so like, going past from uh, I love the Houston Texans. I want the Houston Texans to win. Sort of view. Looking at it, it's like, well, I'm interested in this thing. Like I want to see how the Texans will adjust without Watt and him being the sole source of their pass rush. How they'll be able to cover anybody at all in the situation that they're in. Like I want to see how they're going to respond against a good passing offense. And the Jaguars didn't stress at all whatsoever. Um, they threw a lot of short stuff, a lot of short crossing stuff. They didn't really take advantage of any of the matchups there. Everything was really short, and it was absurd. Like I, I still can't get over um, how their how their passing offense went. And really, the only other argument I could come up with for it was that the game was close. You know, it was nine to three. It was it turned into sixteen three. And they felt like they didn't need to push the ball downfield where you have Minshew make some mistakes. Because even though he only threw two interceptions, he's missed some throws this year. He's been really fortunate. He's only thrown two interceptions. But I, I really didn't understand all whatsoever. And uh, it was extremely stupid. And I, I I don't know. It was one of the dumbest things I've seen though this year. I was kind of speechless. When I was watching the game and I was watching the Jaguars offense, I was kind of speechless about how just know it was. I mean, look, one thing you could do if you're the Jaguars, okay, can't run against the Texans. So what you do is you get Fournette out on screens or just dumps and let them go against the small defensive backs. They did that once the entire game that I can remember. It was just, it was poor. Yeah, I think I think Fournette, I mean, I can look it up real fast. He had a few catches, um, but they did run the ball too often this game too. It's like every time they run it, it's a record scratch for them. Um, for for the receiving, they ha- I mean they had so many guys catch a pass, but Fournette caught five passes for six targets for thirty two yards, and Fournette's actually evolved a lot more as a pass catcher. He had that one that he dropped. Minshew missed him on dump off again as well too, but it was it's, it was still bad, and they just didn't throw the ball downfield enough too. So like Keelan Cole had five catches on six targets. Uh, DJ Shark only he had four catches on nine targets. And they were all over the place. And it was a lot of Gary and Conley versus DJ Chark. So what do you think of Conley after him being traded for a three-round pick? Do you like the training more now? Has your thoughts really changed at all on him? And also, do you think he had a good game this week? I, I think he's still pretty scorchable. I think you had Gard, uh, Gardner Minshew, who was... Uh, there was one pass in particular that he underthrew to yeah. DJ Chark. You mentioned it in our kind of our pregame episode. But... Uh, he's doing fine. He's not great. He's fine. But I 
I think there's at least some upside there. Yeah, I think the one thing he's been good at doing is playing the ball at the catch point. And so if you watch New England, like even if you watch Detroit too, they do a really good job at, even if their cornerbacks get beat uh, at all, they do a really good job at playing the ball whenever the receiver goes to make the catch. And that's the one thing I've seen Gary and Conley do really well so far this year. You saw against Tyra Williams last week. You saw against uh, Chark and Conley this week too because he's been beat. Like Chark beat him deep down the sideline. That one offensive pass interference call was a bad one. That wasn't a push off. He just kind of like Conley run past him to come back for the ball. Uh, I really couldn't believe they called that. But he beat uh, Conley down the sideline earlier in the, later on in the game. They, threw a fl- they didn't throw a flag, but Conley was able to knock it down. He was going down. The Jags had that one red zone drive that ended in a fourth down completion. That incompletion, uh, they run a dig route against Conley. He's open. Conley comes over the top, plays the ball as it's going down. Marone challenges it, loses the challenge, of course. And so like Conley's been getting beat this season, but he's been fortunate to you know, make these plays on the ball. And it kind of goes back to Sharice Wright last year. Remember all those plays he made? He's beat by the double move. He's chasing. He's able to knock the ball away at the very last second. Conley's doing the same sort of thing, and it's going to catch up to him. And it's not like it's an emergency vest. You know, there's only so many of them you have laying in the bottom of the boat. And it's going to catch up to him, especially against guys who are going to catch the ball a little bit better too. So like, I think Conley... What, they're desperate. They need cornerback help. They're going to have him for another year and a half. But I don't think this whole idea that he's been great is uh, is true at all. I think he's been fortunate, and it's going to be interesting to see what he does whenever he's matched up against you know Marquise Brown in two weeks or whenever he's matched up against Muhammad Sanu and he's dealt with matchups like that instead of... You know, these are tough matchups this game, but again, like it's, it's seeing that repeatedly, you know? Yeah, it, a lot of the throws that were in Conley's direction... Yes, he's great at playing the ball, but he's getting really lucky. But he has not been bad. I have to say, he has not been bad. He's been like a lot better than I thought he would be. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. He has, but he hasn't been great. And I think there's this idea that he's been great so far uh, since he's been here. Jonathan Joseph played this game too. He had a big pass breakup. He was liquefied by you know Leonard Fournette. And like you always mention, guys, you don't want to tackle. Fournette's up there for God. me. Derek Henry's up there for me as well, too, just because they're very big and fast, and they do some brutal things as well. Uh, so I think Joseph played pretty well. And, like, again, it was, it was going back to the Minshew chart because I can't get over it. They have Mike Adams, and they have Jaheel Adai, and they're playing cover two man, and they're just sitting back there, and they're not able to create any routes open in the middle part of the field. with Like, use any sort of um, route, route combinations to get guys open. They're not isolating guys in man coverage at all very well either. They're not taking advantages deep. They're not throwing play action deep off of that either. And uh, I just still can't get over it. Like, it's going to be, you know, you kind of saw what happened last year when they had to die as the only safety deep, and they got scorched by the Hunter Renfro touchdown too. So I don't know. I don't know. It, was, it was very strange. Like, Mike Adams is playing free safety right now. The I think the average age of our safeties, even with Justin Reed, is like 48. Like between Adams <laughs> and a die, uh, you know these guys are way past their prime. By the way, I should say Justin Reed had a baller game again. That that guy's been balling out all year, so it's been that's been a lot of fun to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the the matchup change that Cronell made this week was he he kept he kept Reed playing, you know, against tight ends. He kept him in the slot this week. He just put two safeties back there instead of one. Like after a die got scored, he's like, okay, well we'll play two safeties deep. But yeah, I mean, Justin Reed comes in, just plays slot corner, and uh, it works well. And he's, you know, he's been awesome this season. He's really been like the safety valve for him, especially all the cleanup tackles he's made at the safety position because the Texans quarterbacks haven't been able to tackle very well. And he's done a really great job as that too. They're not using him like that right now. They're using him more as a man coverage cornerback. Uh, but you know, it worked it worked this week too. Oh my God, Lamar Jackson just dropped a dime to Mark Andrews. I mean, that kid is. Sorry. He's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. He's not he's not Deshaun Watson, but he's fun. It's all good. So the Texans without JJ Watt, they had four sacks this week. Carlos Watkins had one. Um Brandon Scarlett had one. Uh Brian Body Calhoun was credited with one. I didn't even see him out there. Uh Brandon Scarlett was car- was credited with two. <laughs> I don't know when that That's happened. Five. <laughs> Am I re- yeah, it's just four. So I have Watkins with one. I buy Calhoun with one and then Scarlet with two. Okay. Yeah. So do you think the Texans had a good pass rush this game? Do you, were you surprised by any modicum of pressure they were able to get with that Watt? 
it was an annoying pass rush. And up until the fourth quarter, I think it was uh, – trying to remember correctly. I think they had like three pressures or something like that up until the fourth quarter, and everything mm-hmm. changed at that point in time. And then all of a sudden, it was, that's when I go back to. I think Minshew was really seeing ghosts at that point in time. It, it was not good. It's not going to be good the rest of the season. In the fourth quarter, it turned on. So that was really nice to see. Merciless had a sack. No, he didn't. He had that bad at pass, but he didn't have a sack. Uh, and also, like, there was that one sack where there was like four guys there, too. Right. I think that's what I'm giving to Merciless. Yeah. So I. It wasn't good at all. Um, it was better than I thought it was going to be. Like it was at least annoying. I think that's the best way to describe it. It was slightly uncomfortable. Like Primus Garden Minshew had on like a shirt that had like a that was like really itchy underneath one armpit. You know, like it wasn't demoralizing. It wasn't difficult. It was really weird though watching Minshew, who's been good in the pocket this year, like dodging sacks and creating things from nothing, that sort of thing. But he was doing that without any reason to do so. It was like watching Baker Mayfield in the pocket where he's running into pressure. He's creating pressure on his own. Where the pass blocking was good. You know, Juwan Taylor didn't have very much of a problem. Cam Robinson didn't have a problem. Merciless wasn't like winning his one versus one blocks at all. Uh, they blocked one on the interior. Andrew Norwell was better this game than he had been previously too. Uh, and the Texans didn't blitz a whole lot either. Except in some extreme circumstances. But like Minshew was just like, running upwards in the pocket, trying to turn around and run away from guys. That Carlos Watkins sack is a great example of that one. Nice. Where Watkins takes like five seconds to make that sack where he's blocked. Minshew has a clean pocket. He tries to run left away from Watkins, allows him to circle back over and make the sack, you know? And there's a lot of that going on too, which is really weird to see from Minshew because he had not been doing it very much this year. I, I think that he was kind of coming back to earth in this game. Like he's been kind of floating on cloud, uh, cloud, cloud nine, get, being able to get away with stuff, and uh, t- today didn't work. Yeah. Um, so the <sighs> the other thing I want to talk about were some of these combinations that they use for a pass rush. There was one rush we had Benarjee McKinney blitzing off the edge, where he was able to bad pass down that was trying to be thrown out to the flat because like that's all Minshew was trying to do. I still understand all the flat route passes he threw. Charles Omene who had that bad pass where he hit his arm. Again, Minshew's trying to throw the ball to the flat. And he's able to make, him, make a play on it. But uh, it was like DJ Reader was at left defensive end. They moved Omanehu from you know, defensive end to defensive tackle, where he's been rushing throughout the year. Like Omanehu really hasn't even been at edge until this game as well. And then there was a lot of like showing double A-gap blitzes and then dropping Dylan Cole in coverage or having Dylan Cole spy and then dropping Cunningham back in coverage. And it wasn't until like 3rd and 15 when they actually really needed a rush, so they uh, blitzed both of them too. But uh, it was, like I said, I think it was uncomfortable. I don't think it was very good. And they just used, they did a lot of different things. Like even Merciless was blitzing from the interior too. Yeah, and there was a couple of times, they, they kept kind of teasing the A-gap blitzes, right? With uh, Cunningham and McKinney. And those two guys, by the way, I'd like to add, had outstanding games. Those two guys were wonderful today. So they would tease the A-gap blitz, and then every once in a while they'd actually do it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was really effective. Yeah, I think McKinney had a really great game. He's done, he's done like a really good job in pass coverage. He had that really great stop on a screen pass. He took out Fournette on a, on a swing route too, and they did a good job with that. And I like seeing McKinney rush as an edge rusher. Um, that's a lot of fun. And the last thing I want to mention tonight was just going to the rushing attack. Fournette 11 carries for 40 yards. One was for 11 yards. So that comes out to 10 carries for 29 yards. Uh, don't run the ball against the Houston Texans. Even without J.J. Watt, the run defense is going to be really good because McKinney and Cunningham have been awesome. And Watt wasn't really playing the run all that much this year, too. Even if he said that in the press conference, you know that was a lie. Um, so yeah, the pass, the run defense will still be good. The pass rush is going to be bad. This is a really weird game. I think you play this game 10 times. This game happens maybe once out of it. Um, <laughs> very strange, very strange day. I have no idea what Jackson was doing. I don't think we really learned a whole lot about the Texans' pass defense after it, like I thought we were going to see. But it doesn't really matter now. The Texans are 6-3. and three. Everybody else in the AFC lost. Uh, like you mentioned, Brissett's out for the year too. And this week the Texans are on the bye before playing the Baltimore Ravens next week. I can't think of anything that would be more poetic than Brian Hoyer beating the Houston Texans in the wild card game. Or even beating them again like in week 13 or something. Right. <laughs> 
you know, I don't know. I could see it happening and then be like, okay, well, we'll, we'll beat him in the playoffs. And then I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't like Brian Hoyer after that, that, at that whole season. What, a, what an awful season. Like you go into it with Ryan Mallett, Brian Hoyer quarterback conversation. And, uh, and just knowing it was going to be dreadful the entire time. And, you know, you still squeak a postseason birth out of it. Just like what a waste of talent. Um, and, and like watching Matt Moore today too. Are the Texans would have been a Super Bowl team and Matt Moore is the quarterback in 16 instead of name redacted because they're fifth in defensive DVOA. Best pass defense Houston I think has ever had. Just gone to waste, you know. Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. So that's our show for tonight. We'll be back on next week. We'll probably do... Um, you and I will be on next week. We'll do a, an award show probably. Maybe we can talk a little bit about week 10. You know, if we were national professional football media men, we can do something like that as well. Uh, and we'll do the preview show later this week too. And yeah, but the Texans won. They're like a half game back in the AFC South. It looks like they're probably in clinch it fairly easily now with the with the injury news from uh, about Jacoby Brissett. But until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bob Red Radio. And thank you for being on tonight, BFD. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.